ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word, we're grateful for your son, his teaching, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. We'd ask that you would remind us to bow ourselves before him. In your son's name, amen. I, a number of situations this week I had ended up in a uh, conversation where a certain verse came to mind and I kept using it. And when that happened, they go, better go look it up, see if I've preached on it recently. And it's been a while since I've been in Matthew 11. Usually I go Matthew 1 through, Matthew 11, 1 through 19, uh, where the first section ends, where he's talking about the uh, rejection both he and John experienced from the religious leaders of his day. But I really wanted to get through the whole chapter this morning. Verse 1, and when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now that had requires a little bit of context. Right before this section, John 11, the previous chapter, John, I mean Matthew 11, Matthew 10, he calls the 12 and sends them out to preach, and the instructions are all the way through Matthew 10. So when he talks about going out to their cities, there might be some time break where he is then going back out to where they came back from in their ministries, and that's where he is uh, uh, visiting at this point. Now when John heard, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are, ye, are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Now John and Christ go way back. Um, they're related. Cousins of some sort. They have testified to each other before. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Christ went to John to be baptized by John. But there is more than just us fiddling about the edges of a good religious experience where one holy man talks to another holy man. Or you think that, oh boy, he's really important. Some of you like certain writers and other people like other writers. And, and you have your pantheon of good Christian leadership, which is us playing the, you know, the Christian game with, with uh, sometimes unhealthy loyalties. But something more is being, well, when he says, are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? John, for all that he knows about Christ, he's now in prison, Herod about to kill him, sends his disciples to talk to Christ because he's heard about his miracles. <clears throat> and in that, there's the hope, the possibility, that the Messiah that a few people were expecting had come. Now, the question, we're not in the situation. We're not friends of John's. We're not in jail. 
this question has been settled for 2,000 years, but each of you have an expectation. Each of you are looking for something to follow, some path, some effort, some of, um, well, yes, some effort, some labor that you're going to engage in to uh, make life good. Some of you have, you know, maybe not here, but in the world, some people have just given up. They just go out and kill themselves because, well, what's the point of going on? I've got no, no labor to do, no utility to live out, no greatness of task. And certain things start to offer themselves to them, that they're greater education, greater money, more wives, what's the, more donuts. Don't let this be a, a slow spiral into debauch, Wesley. Measure the donuts. What are you expecting? For whom are you looking? Are you looking for someone? And do you have an anticipation? John is looking at the, his own prophetic gift, you might say, and his knowledge of the scriptures. He has an expectation. And Christ just doesn't go, yes. Christ doesn't say, yes, I'm the Messiah. He says, go tell him what you've seen. You realize how much of your conclusions in life, you have different ways of uh, assenting to something. Some people like a pastor who will just tell them what to think. Give us the catechism, we'll just chant it back to you, we'll be right then. And if you ever trained children or taught children to do things, well, how does it work? Two plus two equals four. Show me how two plus two, so that they look at it, process it, conclude it, it's their thought. Christ wants John the Baptist, I mean, not just you, Christ wants John the Baptist to look at what Christ was doing and then doesn't tell him the answer, yes, I am the guy. Not that he couldn't, he did in various times, but he didn't hear. He just says, witness this, and blessed be you who take no offense at me. There's sort of a quiet, unspoken, what is Christ's opinion of those who do take offense at him? Who have a problem with what they say, who process the witness, for us, it's the witness of the scriptures. We're looking at the life of Christ in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and there are some people who really don't, really actually do not like what Jesus says. And it's not, I don't like it, but I'm going to submit myself to it, but I don't like it, and... Who, do, who does he think he is? John is looking for a blessing, looking for a great thing. Christ wants him to process that, process that for himself, to decide whether or not he is, and to realize the blessing Christ suggests. That little, that little moment happens between Christ and the disciples of John. As they went away, verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to behold? The reed shaken by the wind? 
Why then did you go out? To see a man clothed in soft raiment? This is close to comedy in the Lord's... uh, We don't often think of it because we read it first in the King James. And there's no funny in the King James. But... You see, he's asking the crowd, did you go out to the wilderness to look at just a little stalk of weed vibrating in the wind? Are you that? Are you moved that easily? Or how about somebody important? Did you go out to see someone important? Those who wear soft raiment are in king's houses. Why then did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. There's something in that phrase. Jesus didn't tell John who he was. He just said, you decide who I am. Look at what I did. Oh, let me remind you who John is. He is the guy that's going to go before the Messiah. I wonder who that is. That's out of Malachi 3.1. I have it on the side there. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, a few weeks ago, I was talking about, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about delight in the Christian life. So much of what was moving John, it was moving the disciples of John, or moving the apostles, the disciples of Christ, was they had an expectation, Anna in the temple and Simeon, they had a hope. Something they wanted was being potentially delivered to them in their lifetime. They were living to see, if you grew up in the 60s, when you thought, I I didn't think I'd ever live to see a man on the moon. And there it is, if you believe that we landed on the moon. And I do. Not that kind of church. If you believe otherwise, you are welcome here. I look down on you, but from the moon. Waiting for something, hoping in something. Shall we look for another, or are you the one? Because we want the one we want. We don't just want. Something We want the one we want. What do you want? What did you want in Christ? What did you go out to see in John? Verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, it's one of the great and amazing phrases. No one born of woman greater than John. Um, My father taught me a long time ago, and I know I mentioned this last time I preached through this passage, uh, on just the nature of, of Christian unity. Here are two men of God, whatever you think of their prophetic or whatever status. John is eating locusts and wild honey and dressed in a camel hair shirt pretty much unacceptable at any of your social gatherings, who's now in prison, is going to get his head chopped off, and uh, the Lord looks at him and says, there's no one born of woman greater than John. 
And John looks at the Christ, who wear very nice clothes, more of a Joel Austin look, which I know bothers you. Probably looked like Woody Allen, he's a Jew, in a very nice suit. Versus, you know, someone more like Jack Kerouac. Or the Unabomber, or probably more like the Unabomber. And the Unabomber looks at this very slick pastor, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Both of them know what they're looking for. Both know what the covenant is they represent, what that delight is in. Are you just looking for some representative pastor of your social and fashion choices? The kind of things you like, because you're an ascetic, so you want a bunch of people in your congregation, the pastor, who looks like he's wearing a hair shirt next to his skin. No, they weren't. They were looking for something else. The covenant of God to them, it was of no import that I wore a camel hair shirt and I wore a seamless garment that people would gamble over. And my father always said, these, these guys have a very high opinion of each other. They're, they're, they, they, Christ sees, this is the messenger preparing the way before me. John's going, are you the one we're waiting for? From the days of John the Baptist, verse 12, until now, oddly enough, the days of John the Baptist, a couple of years earlier, when he was having his ministry, when Christ comes out and begins his, it's just been a little bit. Until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. For all the pro which is an odd phrase. We're not on that subject, but it seems that what that no matter what, even though the kingdom of God is within you, there are always people who want to take your religion by force, either negatively and persecute you, eliminate you, think they can stop it by killing you, or they want to take it over like they would take over another nation, another country, so they can absorb Christianity into their purposes by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Okay, the weirdness aside, just deal with it if you're willing to accept it. He's looking at John as the end of the Old Testament. All the prophets have prophesied up to this guy. And Elijah was going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Elijah is going to come. And Christ, it seems like, is the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's the end of the Old Covenant. The New Covenant had come. The Kingdom of God had come to earth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some translations just say, he who has ears, let him hear. If you're gifted with the ability to process this, look at all that you are given that is being laid out in front of you. Figure it out. John was told, look at these miracles. Figure it out. John is the one preparing the way of the Lord. This is a momentous point. Christ, Jesus Christ, says this guy is Elijah. And that's what we're expecting, because back in Malachi 4, that's what it said, that Elijah was coming. 
And Christ said, John was. Now think about it. He who has ears, think about whether you're hearing. Are you the kind of person that's going to listen to this? Who's going to start to wonder whether everything that you held sacred, everything that you held valuable, You have a choice to make about what you're waiting for. But what shall I compare to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We piped to you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Oh, that's a kind of sweet little song. Maybe we can come up with a little tune for it. We piped, you did not dance. Basically, you, this generation is like little kids asking you for contraries and both contraries, you're disobedient to them. That's how the world functions. That's how, what the world, the world is setting a demand of absolute obedience. Now, not a world like some conspiracy. The system of the world in each one of us has this expectation that it is the kind of loyalty only a God expects. That you obey no matter what. You didn't dance when we piped. You didn't cry when we were wailing. And he says, the way I'm applying that, he says, look at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. He says, no matter what we do, it's not going to be what they want. They will always object. The world will always object to the kingdom of God in you. It object, objected to it in John the Baptist. They said he had a demon because he wasn't eating or drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We piped, you didn't dance. We got, you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing. Whatever we're looking at in the kingdom of God is an offense to the kingdom of man. People who represent, even those that are, you might think that, oh, I'm, I'm going to smoke cigars and, and drink or uh, so better my witness. No matter what we do, there's going to be some unbelievers that are horrifying, horrified by what we believe. Well, he's a wine-bibber and a glutton. We show that you're really, really devout by giving up everything. And they're going to say you're out of your mind. He has a demon. <coughs> but Christ is concerned with only one thing. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The Luke account says, I have it there in the text, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. John and Christ were children of wisdom. They were children of the kingdom. They were tied together in prophecy, were tied together in power, and it didn't matter what anyone else said. The justification is not obviously in the commonality of the two men. They didn't do what the world expected of them, and they didn't do what the other expected of them. In terms of matching each other, that we're the group that doesn't have stuff, or we're the group that has too much stuff. Well, that wasn't the nature of the wisdom. What you have to ask yourself is, what are you, not only what are you, when you say, what am I expecting? For whom am I waiting? Am I waiting for some sort of definition of religion that I think is more 
religious, a celebration of discipline. Uh, uh, we're, uh, what, that was a book by Foster, uh, you know, recommending a more disciplined monastic sort of expression. Other people race off to John Piper and uh, desiring, desiring God, is that his? Desiring God, you know, Christian hedonism is how he goes by. I kind of like the hedonism thing, but. We're not, that's not the, that's not the childhood we are of. It wasn't important that Christ had it wasn't important that John didn't. They were both children of wisdom, and it justified them how they lived, their deeds. So what you're expecting is something other than, you might say, religious culture. Religious culture is not good enough. It wasn't good enough for John, it wasn't good enough for Christ. So what am I expecting? Will I see it when it sits in front of me? Because remember, what I'm expecting, and if Christ just lays out his life in front of me, do I start drawing uh, you know, cultural conclusions out of the life of, of the narrative of Christ's life? What, what am I looking for? What am I gaining? What am I deciding? What am I concluding? Because it's important, verse 20 says, then... He began to upbraid, which is a word you don't often use. You're going to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. You ever think of those, those moments? You got a guy coming through town. That's how you even like the Joel Osteen look. He's coming through town and he's preaching a righteousness and the dead are being raised. The sick are being healed. Good news is being preached to the poor. And it is actually the Messiah. Let's get that out of the way. And people don't believe. Because what you hoped for when you were in high school and you were a Christian, if only, if, boy, if we could just do something, if only Jesus would just show up. Jesus did show up. That was one of the points. He showed up in history did this stuff in front of others and there were generations there were cities that did not repent and he says that's why he's upbraiding them he says woe to you Teresen, woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you those were Phoenician, two of the major Phoenician port cities, very wicked, judged in the Old Testament, Ezekiel has judgment of them. And you, Capernaum, that's a nice Bible name, we all know Capernaum, synagogue at Capernaum, that's a nice Jesus stop point. If you go to the Holy Land, they'll take you through Capernaum, and you feel, ah, Capernaum, a holy city. Well, Jesus didn't have that opinion. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, oh, you know, Christians, you know, you've, heard, you've met some, you probably have on your Facebook some concern expressed by about LGBTQ, LNMOP, whatever it is. Concerns, because Christians are a little dim on sodomy. 
Jesus is mordim on Capernaum. He says, you know, Sodom? Uh, what's it say there? If it had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. They would have repented if Jesus had showed up and said what he said. Their sins did not stand in the way. In, in Christ's mind, their sins were not such, and there were sins, Something was worse about Capernaum. I tell you that it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Fire came down from heaven and destroyed Sodom. Lot's wife gets turned into salt. It's a bad place. Not ten righteous people in town. Barely one, and he's questionable. Just get him out. Angels nearly get raped in Sodom. And Christ goes... You know, Capernaum, just up the road there? Hell. It's going to be so much worse for them. Because they were not listening. They were not expecting. They were not looking at the horizon, looking for the, the wisdom of God. They were not waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come. They didn't have the right view of the kingdom of heaven. They had all these trashy notions about we either are we sacrificial sort of people or we're, you know, uh, 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 abundance sort of people. Christ and John are standing next to each other going, we like each other a lot. We don't know what you're thinking, but our Father, the wisdom we are of, what we represent is something other than what you're thinking about. And when you don't listen, when you don't spot what Christ was, when Christ could say to John's disciples, go back and tell them what you've seen. Capernaum, Therese, and Bethsaida all saw that too. They did not conclude what John concluded. Therefore, the judgment was going to be huge. What are you expecting? For whom are you looking? And what have you seen? What do you see when you study the Word of God? What, what comes out at you? Do you start to see little justifications for your kind of Christian culture? Whatever it is. Hard nose, soft nose, high, low, rich, poor. Or do you see something else that seems to make John the Baptist and Jesus Christ one in the kingdom of God? Then he says, verse 25, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Christ thanks God for keeping people from finding out. Because not only does he not answer John, but he's thankful to the Father from, for not having this something that, you know, the, the, the smarty pants of the world were naturally going to come across in their natural studies. Their natural studies of religious movements, the religious mind, the purposes of their God, their theology, whatever it is, they weren't going to find this. They weren't going to see. Babes were going to see it. Not the babes, cute babes, but little babes. Yea, Father, for such was thy gracious will. 
That was a grace. You know, so many of the people that are expecting the wrong thing are the people who seize the kingdom by force. They're just building. They want whatever it is Jesus means. You want to claim the name of Jesus for the United States. You want to claim the name of Jesus for the Dallas Cowboys. You want to claim the, you know, you just want to be sure that Christianity is on your side. Some of the people that are trying to misunderstand or do misunderstand the Lord, they're seizing the kingdom by force. It suffers violence at their hands. But some people do understand what Christianity is about, what the kingdom of heaven is and what it's doing. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We're going to have to realize that it's either hidden from you or it's not. Let's just be honest. Say, you know, I'm, I wonder why I come here every Sunday, because I don't understand a thing he says. Now that could be a fault of mine. I could be a, just a lousy pastor. Not. I'd like to think not, but is it all hidden from you? Or would you, would you, do you kind of wish all souls would play religion a little bit better than we do? Because there are a lot, we got the pointy windows, we're ready. We got a steeple, we got a bell, um, a basement, you know, for jello, you know, pot, potlucks and stuff. Real religion. We have a chancel. We could have a little windy staircase up to a lectern. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, over on this side. Now that the Anglicans are here. Do you wish it was more religious than it is? Are you seeking for the kingdom? I want you to suspect that maybe if you want religion, you're the ones God is trying to hide it from. So many... I was talking to my wife a few days ago. I get Christian mail. I don't know why. They find out. I bought a pastor's list, and I'm somehow on a pastor's list. And I get photos of just schmarmy-looking Bible teachers. I don't know where they, 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 they practice in front of a mirror. You know, that they look up, kind of like the newscasters do on the news commercials, where they always have them papers, and they always turn up and look at the camera. Well, somewhere, these pastors have thought that three-quarter view with a slight turn of the head and a cheese-eating grin on their face, that that means that they love me. It just looks awful. I suspect they're embezzling immediately. <laughs> you know, it'd be, a, it'd be a godsend if they were just having an affair. But I expect wickedness out of these people. I don't expect that they know the Father. Now I could be making some awful judgment on the face of nature of a smile. But there are people that God has hidden it from, and that was his gracious will. And babes who, who begin to go, you know, Christianity is a dear and wonderful kingdom based on the forgiveness I received from my sins because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Did Christ reveal his father to you? 
It's important to him, it seems. And so is the son's opinion of you. That also seems to be important. And it's important to know that you're not one of the people from whom you are having the faith hidden. Because he's doing that to a lot of people. And your persuasion, what you are choosing to wait for, if you pick, take anything away from this, back to the earlier, what were you expecting? Were you like John in prison going, are you the guy? I want to know if you are the guy. You are very different than my ministry, but are you the guy? Because the guy who you wait for, the Christ you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. And will you recognize him, or will you just be blind to it? Really not be ready for it? Just can't see it, couldn't understand it. I was thinking about this passage in um, Out of the Silent Planet where Ransom is on Mars, very first moments, and he's looking at this, the landscape, and he can't understand it. He doesn't know what he's looking at. He can't even tell it's a landscape because it matches nothing on Earth that landscapes do. Nothing. And so it takes him a while to realize that he's not in some sort of bizarre situation other than being on Mars. Someone told me the other day, and I don't know if this is true, maybe a few months ago, that when the Aborigines saw the galleons of Spain arrive in the New World, they couldn't see them. They physically could not see them. Spanish galleons were reasonably large boats. You think, well, how can you not see it? It's right there. They had no category for it. They could not see the galleons. When you're blind, you might have every little religious thing tricked out in front of you. See those things just fine. Design that to be the kind of labor-intensive church. You ever, one of the things I've, a few of you over the years have thanked me for, not a whole lot here, and that's exactly what you thanked me for. Thank you for not having a whole lot here. No programs, no involvement, no soccer club for the kids. No youth group, no Sunday school, nothing. It's like heaven. We turn our lives, you know we turn our lives into the kingdom of men. We turn the church into the kingdom of men. You turn your job into the kingdom of men. Your family into the kingdom of men. And then you slap that harness on and you drag it through the rest of your life. Because you don't really start this kind of behavior until you're in your 30s. Okay? That's when you really strap in and say, I'm going to drag this across the finish line. And it's like one of those awful moments when you're driving out west in the early days when you had your own little Conestoga wagon. And the wife goes, oh, honey, and points. And there's this set of skeletons, two oxen, a wagon, 15 children, you know, didn't make it. They just broke down. They just dragged that thing across Kansas and died before they got to the edge. That's what we do. That's life. Slap on the yoke. Decide what's in the wagon. Drag it till you're dead. Welcome to life. Well, that's what we've got. The Lord knows that's what we're all doing. That's what we're all doing. You have a wagon. You're putting stuff in it because you're going to drag it. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
That was the verse that stuck out to me. We were talking about that at Wine, Wisdom, and Song out of Hebrews, and this verse came to mind. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. With what? What are you? You're, all of you are carrying something. All of you are carrying unnecessary baggage. Christ would like you to hear him, not have it hidden from you, be, be innocent enough or stupid enough or, or young enough or whatever it is, childlike enough to hear when he says, you know, the principle of this faith is how easy it is. Oh, you say, I've been to churches and the professional level of any church, the professional level of any denomination seems a lot harder than this. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He says, you know that wagon you're dragging with all of human civilization in the back. Your monetary needs, your need to be loved, your need to be whatever that is. That you were dragging across Kansas and you're going to die at the end. Why don't you just pick up my wagon, get in my yoke, and learn from me. That's the hard thing, because we, we don't process religion the way the Lord processes religion. We obviously don't process religion the way John the Baptist processed religion. They were both children of wisdom, and they bore deeds that befit that, and we would get it all wrong about what we looked at in each of them. We need to learn something here. It's rest that he's marketing. You need to learn that. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And he seems like he's repeating himself. He says, I don't like that, because that makes the point more sure. I can't dodge this one. Jesus says, I'm this way. I'm this tranquil, unobtrusive judge of the living of the dead. That's because the way we live, this is, not, this is talking about the way we live. This is not what's going to happen in history. God's going to judge the world in Christ. He also says that. He's talking about you and your rest. What are you dragging now? What are you dragging in Christ? You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So look at those words. You got rest. You got easy. You got light. Is your religion that way? Is it rest? You got peace. Are you of gentle and lowly? You've learned from Christ about gentle, gentleness and lowliness. The word is humility, I think it's a translation. Humble in heart. And you will find rest. Is that what you're aiming for? Are you looking for? It's almost the opposite of men of violence will take it by force. When you set up Christianity to be another kingdom that people can see, another body of money they can steal. I think Henry VIII did that when he had the Reformation in England. That just meant wide open predation on the monastic houses. Get a lot of stuff. They could take your stuff. The non-believers would like to take our stuff. They'd like to take our buildings. They'd like to confiscate what we have. They'd like to stop us from what's saying what we're saying. How about Christians of all stamps? You don't want to be that sort of person. You don't want to be power-driven. You want to be 
And you don't want to be looking, you mean, is this all there is, is dragging this awful weight? Because, just a warning, some of you are as old as I am, very few of you. The knees start to go. Glenda, my left knee hurts. And uh, so that dragging that wagon, which has gotten, it's like I put more weight in it every year. And then I, my knees start to go and I'm dragging harder. And then you hit sandy soil and the wheels start to spin. No wonder it kills you. Jesus is restful. Jesus is light. Jesus is easy. But one thing you have to remember, it's not easy because you get to do what you want and you don't have to do what anybody says. It's a yoke. It's a burden. It's somebody else's wagon. It's, it's not that you don't serve. It's that the Christ we serve wants your life to be this way. You're a draft animal for another's interest. It is his kingdom, not yours. Matter of fact, we get into this kind of trouble of dragging too much weight when we make it our kingdom. Because we want to pick up so much stuff. You ever go camping with somebody who takes too much stuff? Andrew Bates is not here. <laughs> takes too much stuff. Or, or let, let's say, go on a trip, say, with your wife. Because every pair of shoes that may be needed must be packed. And every pair of, what else do they have? Slacks that would go with those different shoes. You've got to be prepared. 1,200 pound piece of luggage, rolling it in there, it's above limits. That's what we do. We're not bright enough to pack this wagon to drag it to our death. Jesus Christ John the Baptist are children of wisdom. Their deeds match them. Their deeds hold them together. This is the kind of thing we serve. That's why the kingdom of God is within you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that's how the Lord closes off the chapter and he moves on to something else. So, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your son, the ease of this life in him. Help us be the babes who see it, who know the Father through your allowance. We'd ask that you would illuminate us as to what the Christian life ought to be like. In your son's name we pray. Amen.